0: Welcome to The How of Business with your host, Henry Lopez. The podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here is your
1: host. This is Henry Lopez, and welcome to this episode of The How of Business. I am excited to have with me today, Steve Hoffman. Steve, welcome to the show. I'm excited to be here, too. Well, that's fantastic. We're going to have a great conversation. Steve's going to share a lot of wisdom. He's with me today to share his wisdom and insights on how to survive a startup. He has a lot of experience in this area. So how can you avoid some of those common mistakes and have a better chance of achieving success with your small business startup? If you want to receive more information about the Howa business, including including links to the show notes page for this episode, and also if you want to schedule a free coaching consultation with me, you can either text the word biz, B-I-Z, to 772-837-5700, or just visit thehowabusiness.com. So let me tell you a bit more about Steve. Steve Hoffman, he also goes by Captain Hoff to everybody who knows him and is part of his programs. Uh, He is the captain and CEO of Founders Space. Founders Space is one of the world's leading startup accelerators. Founders Space was ranked the number one incubator for overseas startups by Forbes and Entrepreneur Magazines. Steve is also a venture investor, a serial entrepreneur himself, and the author of several award-winning books, including his latest, which we're going to chat about today, entitled Surviving a Startup. Steve is also the host of his own podcast called Captain Hoff's Adventures. It's a podcast that brings you inside the minds of creators, thinkers, and builders, and shares with you their visions, stories, and their struggles. Steve believes Life should always be an adventure. He's on an adventure right now, actually, crisscrossing the country. And he takes you on a journey around the globe so you can see what creative minds are dreaming up and experiencing as they lead us into the future. So a great podcast, Captain Hoff's Adventures, that I would recommend. Steve lives typically in the San Francisco Bay Area, although he joins us today from the Boston, Massachusetts area. Once again, Steve Hoffman, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. All right, let's start at the beginning, if we could, Steve. We've got a lots of questions to ask you, so I want to dive right into it. You studied, if I got it right, computer engineering. Then you got a master's in cinema, television. What was it in university that you thought you'd be when you grew up? In university, I didn't know what I wanted to be. So
0: I tried a lot of different things, which I think is true about many of us out there. You know, I was interested in computers, I was interested in particularly computer games, I was interested in filmmaking, I was interested in business. What I ended up doing actually is combining them all to get to where I am today.
1: Hmm.
0: What was your first job then out of school? My first job when I graduated film school was working as a reader in Hollywood. And a reader is someone who gets film scripts and reads them to screen out all the bad ones before the producers actually read the scripts. So the producers in Hollywood, they don't like to read. They only want to read what's really good. So it's the job of the readers to get rid of all the junk. Why, Why were you qualified for that position? I'm curious. Well, I was overqualified. So I had spent three years in graduate school studying uh, cinema television at USC, which is a top film school. But when you get out of film school, nobody gives you a job. And that was <laughs> literally the only thing I could get. So, right? so I took the job, but lit- within a matter of two months, I got promoted to development executive. So I was heading up their development department, I was running you know, the, the whole process of development inside a Hollywood production company. And then after that, I, I saw the coming of technology and entertainment in the form of games. So this was the early days. And Sega, the game company had just leapfrogged Nintendo to become the number one game company in the world. So I met the founder and I actually went over to Japan to work in their headquarters. Wow. How much time did you spend in Japan? Just a year. And then I got the entrepreneurial bug. I said, I could do this myself. I could start my own company. So I moved back to California, where I'm from, Silicon Valley, and did my first startup. And that was the beginning of my path towards being an entrepreneur. Wonderful. So what was that first business? The first business was called Lava Mind. It's for brains that want to erupt with ideas. And we actually made games. So I took my core competency in games. We launched our own game. The first game actually was a business simulation game to teach kids and even adults how to be entrepreneurs. And it was called Gazillionaire. <laughs> so every, anybody who dreamed of becoming a gazillionaire, which is pretty much all of us right now, could play the game. The game went on to be a huge hit. And actually all these years later, it's still available. You can exactly. still play Gazillionaire and it's still popular.
1: So you, it seems to me, were driven from early on by the creative side of you—a desire to create and be part of the creative process. Is that fair?
0: That is fair to say. So I had two sides. I had my business side, actually three sides. I was schizophrenic, so I had my business side, my technical engineering side, I was very good at engineering and coding, and then also my creative side. I like as a as a kid, I'd made fifty movies with all my friends. You know, all these movies mm. i I'd, I'd made probably over a hundred different games, board games, because I was really into games. So all of these things were part of me. And then I just, I just in life, opportunities come up or else you make opportunities. You make them for yourself and you go after them.
1: So there has to have been some influences for you. I, I gotta think your parents encouraged your creativity and imagination, is that, is that true? That is very true. So my mother
0: was an artist. So she got that, I got the overdose of the creative (laughs) uh, genes from her, as well as influence uh, in the arts and everything. But my father was really the opposite. He was a rocket scientist professor at MIT. You know, he worked with the early astronauts. So he gave me that technical side. So I had a fusion of both.
1: Where did the business entrepreneurial influence come from, do you think? I wonder where that came from because
0: I, it didn't come from either of my parents. None of, neither of them were great business people, honestly. So, my mother was an artist, and my father actually told me the best decision he ever made in his life was not to go into business because he would have been terrible at it. Right, right. He was, he was a professor. So, what I did, um, my business side came from my desire actually to create something. You know, if you're going to create something and have an impact in the world, you can sit in your little hovel, your studio and, and try to make something, or you can go out there and build an organization, get people involved. And that's really what business is about.
1: So I chat about this a lot on my show, Steve, the the value, the power, the need, I think, to tap into our creative process when it comes to business. In my observation, and I'm, I'm obviously anxious to hear your thoughts A lot of people that gets squeezed or marginalized out of them because, you know, we got a color within the lines. It's not typically what we learn in school. What are your thoughts on how valuable it is to be in touch with your creative side? Because I think we're all creative by nature, I think, and how important that is in business. I'd like to get your thoughts on that. I believe a lot of entrepreneurs don't cultivate
0: their creative side enough. They kind of push it off. Oh, that's something I did when I was younger or that's something I can't do, I can't draw. But creativity isn't about drawing. Creativity applies to everything you do. If you're a scientist like Einstein, the genius of Einstein was that he was creative. He just didn't do the experiments. In fact, he didn't do any lab experiments. Everybody else did a lab experience. All he did was sit originally in a patent office and on his free time, imagine what could be possible based on these experiments that other people had done. So it was, it was, it was all work with his creativity and his thought experiments. So you actually um, look at business people And some of the most creative business people ever and the most successful are super creative. Look at Elon Musk. Like, how much more creative can you get? He's always coming up with a new idea. And, and everything, you know, he's tweeting about crazy stuff. He's selling flamethrowers and surfboards, whatever, you know, he's a creative dude. And then you look at Steve Jobs like, Steve Jobs revolutionized the entire computer industry simply by combining creativity with technology. So if you're in business, no matter what business you are, and there's there's a million ways to be creative. It doesn't matter. Uh, you don't have to be creative to design something. You're creative in how you structure companies, how you look at the marketplace, how you serve customers and meet their needs. There is no end to where creativity can impact the
1: success of your company. Yeah, that's brilliant. That's been my experience as well. All right, so what led you to starting Founders Space? Well, I had done three venture funded
0: startups in Silicon Valley and two bootstrap companies. And I thought, you know, I want to help my friends. So my friends are raising money. So they'd come out and they'd go, Captain Hoff, which is my nickname, Captain Hoff, help me. Like, you know, I'm going out to raise capital. I'm, I'm doing, you know, I'm, I want to start a business. How do I get in touch with investors? How do I do a business plan? How, how do I plan, you know, get my marketing together? and I would sit down with them and give them advice. Now I quickly discovered that most of them had the same questions. So I started to post my answers on my blog and I called it Founderspace. And then that just exploded. Like people started to come to me out of the woodwork, contacting me. I started to form roundtables where we'd get all these entrepreneurs together with lawyers, marketing people, investors, and have discussions. Then my friend had a a space in San Francisco, a big co-working space. And I looked at him, I said, can we use part of that to set up our incubator and accelerator? He said, absolutely. So we did that deal. And then people from all over the world were coming to Silicon Valley at that time, pre-COVID, like everybody was flocking in. They started to see Founderspace as one of the earlier successful startup incubators and they said, can you bring founder space to our country? So right now we have over 50 partners in 22 countries around the world.
1: Wow, and it's an incubator as well as an accelerator. So you have different programs I'm assuming, or how does that work?
0: Yes, so we have our physical space. We also do online programs. You know, right now we've actually had to, because of COVID, you know, it's winding down, we're getting back to normal. But during COVID, we had to actually do most of our programs remotely, like on Zoom and other platforms, and we've been doing that. However, we opened up a number of our incubators early on in China. So we have them in city, major cities like Shenzhen, and Hanzhou, and Nanjing, and Xi'an, and other cities. And those, because China's kind of walled off right now, literally, you can't get into China um, very easily as a foreigner because of COVID, they have it under control. And, th- and our incubators are still open there.
1: Wow, that's fantastic. And we're gonna, we're gonna get you to share some of those insights here as we do a deeper dive, but curious is what led you to write the book, Surviving a Startup, and, and in your mind, who is it for? So, Surviving a Startup is for anybody who's about to launch a business
0: or who has just launched a business. It is literally everything I learned in all the companies I did myself. I was in the trenches. I know what it is to be an entrepreneur. I know what it is to suffer and to hit your head against a wall. And it's also my experience working literally with hundreds of entrepreneurs around the globe who have to, had to start their companies and they had to start somewhere. What did I wish I knew when I began?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a great book and we're going to start to dive into it. So I, I thought I'd start with this question, Steve. What, what still fascinates you about starting a new business? What fascinates me about starting a new business is that it
0: is an adventure. Like you don't know what's going to happen. And one of the beautiful things in life is that, you know, if you know your whole life, it's a, if it's all planned out, like you're going to start this job and you're going to work in this office until the day you die that's boring. I don't want that for life. And I think most entrepreneurs I know, they want surprises. And doing a new business just opens up a huge number of opportunities, huge possibilities that you never knew for both transforming your life,
1: your economic situation, and yourself, who you are as a person. It was one of the things for me early, early on that inspired me, Steve, is that that desire to not, to the limits be only the ones that I impose upon myself or the limits that my, I might have but not anybody else dictating to me what my limits were that was such a big part of it and you're you're touching on it and also I think correlates back to the point we're chatting about a moment about creativity is that with creativity we don't necessarily know how the story is going to end up right you do Nobody
0: knows where they're going to end up, even in a normal life where you have everything supposedly under control. Right. But especially when you are doing a startup, like startups are so unpredictable. There's so many variables out there. Literally, you could think you're on top of the world one minute and then then the next you're like crashing down, like everything's falling apart because you didn't foresee something like your lead engineer leaving or, you know, your primary customer cutting, you know, reneging on a deal, whatever it is, there's always drama. And to me, if you're gonna really survive a startup, not just be successful, but survive it and emotionally, you need to embrace all this uncertainty that's happening, all the madness of the world that that throws at you, every obstacle, not as a painful, uh, you know, impediment to yourself, and your progress, but as a challenge to be overcome, as a test of who you are. Like, you know, people out there, the the people who really drive themselves, the ones who join a triathlon or Tough Mudder and are like pushing themselves to the limit. As an entrepreneur, if you can adopt that attitude that, look, you throw whatever you can at me because I'm going to see it as a bigger challenge and I'm going to overcome it, that's a great way to go into a startup.
1: Yeah. And understanding that your best plans, you might have to alter or pivot at, at any moment. It, it's uh, the thing that that I comes to mind as we're talking about this, Steve, is one of the challenges for us as entrepreneurs is a lot of us, I know I am, type A personality, want to control everything, want to predict the outcome. And yet, like we just, like you just shared, that's not the way business works. Did you have that challenge of balancing that wanting to control things, but the reality is that You know, you don't, you never know what to expect with business. My personality is very much, I like things under control.
0: So I like to know what's going to happen. So I have two sides. I like adventure. I want to try new things. But uh, another part of me really doesn't like it when things are crazy. Like, especially when money's flowing out, you can't control that. You have enormous risk, both financial and personal. These things I want, I always want to reduce risk. But I like to say, when you're doing a startup, If you start, if you focus on just reducing risk, you are also proportionately reducing opportunity. So it was a really tough challenge for me to realize that no, taking the safest path is not the best path. Because a lot of times the safest path is the path everybody else is taking. So you will just wind up like everybody else. You will have nothing special. It'll be very hard for you to break through and really grow big. You just, it just won't, it probably won't happen. Yeah. So if you if you limit risk you are limiting the potential of your startup and I tell entrepreneurs don't limit risk embrace risks that's not saying you should take a stupid crazy risk that is saying you should know which, which risks you are willing to take and they and those risks should be proportional to the payoff from them so if there is a good chance that this thing will pay off big even though it's a big risk take it
1: mhm Well said, well said. All right. Here's a question for you that, uh, you know, I always struggle with, and we talk a lot about, I believe relatively speaking that the idea is the easier part. It's the execution or the business model under that idea. That is the most critical part as to whether you're going to be successful or not in business. What are your thoughts on that? I work with a
0: lot of entrepreneurs and when I come up to these entrepreneurs and they pitch me their idea, To me, that's only part of it because I have seen great um, ideas, like mind blowing ideas but the entrepreneur isn't right. The team isn't right. They don't have it. And almost invariably they fumble the ball because even if you have a great idea you can be almost guaranteed somebody else has that idea. Mm -hmm. There is, you know, the world's a big place. There are billions of people out there. There's somebody in Sweden or South Africa or China or wherever who has that same idea and is doing it. And if they are going to execute better, if they, if they have put together a better team, which to me is the defining thing, you never build an idea into a real business alone. Like if it's going to be a big business, you're going to need other people involved. So what the criteria I look at more than their idea is who did you get involved? Who have you brought on board to help you? What strategic partners, what advisors, what other people are your co-founders or are, are your partners in helping you with this business? How are you gonna get from point A that you want now to point B? Because I found even if you don't have the right idea, but you have all the other pieces in place, you will figure out the right idea. Mm-hmm. Like you'll have great advisors, you'll have great uh, partners and teammates and together you will figure out where to go. And if you don't, then you'll just fail.
1: Yeah, that's brilliant. And that's been my experience as well. But staying on the topic of ideas, because you have so much to share here, and you talk a lot about this in the book. Once I do get there, what are some of those things that you look at to validate that it is a good idea or a good business model combined with an idea? What, What are some of those things you look for? First of all, I tell
0: entrepreneurs, don't even start with the idea like when you're big, most entrepreneurs I know they're like ah, I'm working in a corporate job I want to you know I, I have this dream but I can't do it because I don't have the right idea
1: mm.
0: and and I'm telling these entrepreneurs don't focus on the idea and other entrepreneurs will spend months and months or years trying to think of the right idea and when they get the right idea they think they have it made like mm. they're gonna they're gonna be successful but honestly even if you think you have the right idea you probably don't Because when you put that idea into the real world, you will almost invariably discover that the real world treats your idea differently than it was when you imagined it in your head. Now, this is a really critical distinction. Anything can sound good in your head. It can sound like the most brilliant idea in the world. But when you put it out there, it doesn't matter how passionate you are about your idea, how great you think it is. What matters is what other people think of it. If you're building a business, it means you're offering a product or service to other people. It doesn't matter if you love your idea or believe in it. What matters is that they, your potential customers, are crazy about your idea, crazy in love with it. This is the thing when you know you have an idea that's worth pursuing. Like not when you think it's great, not when your friends confirm it's great because they're probably just being nice. But when the people who are actually going to put down money or invest their time into this, when they come back and tell you, I need that. Like I really, really, really need that. And until you get that reaction, not just from like one person, but from enough people to really, uh, and you can see a clear path to a big market. There's a lot of people out there.
1: That's when you start to know this idea is real. It has traction. And and that's why the sooner I can get to that validation point, right, that, that MVP approach, the sooner I can get there and then iterate, that like you have explained will help me kind of validate and evolve the idea to what the market is actually accepting. And the sooner I get there, the better. Yeah. The sooner you can find out that your idea doesn't work the better. Yeah. So
0: I always tell entrepreneurs out there, when you get a great idea that you love, your first thing that you should do is kill your baby. Like (laughs) literally you've fallen in love with it. Everybody thinks their baby's cute. You need to wake up and find out is this baby really, you know, is this really, baby, really cute? So you need to do everything in your power to go out and show it to the other people who will be using it, buying it, consuming it, and find out their reaction and and really
1: find out if there's a reason that this idea of yours will not take off. But there's, a, there's a key and such a critical mindset point theory that you're making that I want to make sure we, we get because... It's not validate that it works, but validate that it doesn't work. In other words, go into it with the assumption that it's going to get rejected because otherwise we will find every possible way to justify that it's still a good idea in part, right? That is exactly right. When
0: you are beginning your business, you will have your own built-in biases. You know, we all say love is blind. Like, you know, when you fall in love with somebody, You know, your best friends, your family can say that person isn't right for you. But if you're in love, you're infatuated, you're blind. You don't want to love your idea too much. You want to keep your eyes open. And and part of keeping your eyes open for what it really is, is I tell you, your goal is not to make it a success. Your goal is to kill that idea as quickly as possible. Find out all the reasons it can't work. And then either you change your direction, you change slightly, or you do a complete restart and you throw out that idea and start a new one. The entrepreneurs that that I see are successful, don't try one thing and stick with it. In fact, if you try one thing and keep sticking with it, your chance of failure is much higher. The really amazing entrepreneurs out there try a lot of things really quickly, testing the market. Try this idea. Try that idea. Oh, it's going, going, going. Oh no, it doesn't work. Try this. Going, going, going. And then when they get one that just kind of yanks them along, it's not them like pushing it forward, like straining, but that idea is just explodes and they have to run to keep up with it, that's when they know they have something.
1: Yeah, love that. You talk also in the book about, um, I'm going to paraphrase, but I've always believed that with ideas, you have to let them breathe. And so people have a tendency to want to keep it secret. And I get it that if you've invented something that really needs protecting, that's that's one thing. But generally, we need to, as you just explained very clearly, share and validate our ideas, get that feedback earlier than, than later. Yeah. It's not how great your idea is that will determine the success. It's
0: who gets that idea into the world the fastest mm-hmm. and runs the fastest with it. Yep. B- doing, being an entrepreneur is all about growth. If you want to build a business, if you want to build a tiny business, like you have a, a, just a small shop and you want to keep it small, that's fine. That's perfectly fine. But if you actually want to grow your business into a big business from a small business like Franchise Your Shop, or launch something that will go nationwide or worldwide, then you really need to bring in resources. You need to get, the most important thing you need to get first before anything else is really good information. Like where is the market? I tell entrepreneurs, your job is really not to prove your idea works. Your job as an entrepreneur is to actually go into the real world and hunt for demand, pent up demand that none of your uh, customers, competitors, none of your competitors are meeting. So this demand in the real world is out there. There's demand all the time. It's always been created because new technologies come up, new services, markets are always changing. There's always demand for new things. You just have to find one of these wells of demand and tap into it. And the sooner you can do that, the sooner you can be on your way to success. Yeah. It's not about, the ideas can come later. Like demand should drive your ideas. Where you see there's real demand, then they, that's an idea, right? <laughs> that, that is something solid. The idea right. itself doesn't really matter. An idea only matters in so much as it can help you meet demand that's already in the marketplace. That's brilliant,
1: brilliant. Right, let me ask you this question. I, I've always uh, struggled with this and come have refined my thinking on it, but how much do you think in in success in business is dependent on timing or luck. What are your thoughts on that?
0: The world is a totally unpredictable place. Luck plays a huge role. But if you just throw up your hands and say it's all the luck, well, you might as well just buy lottery tickets. And we all know your chance of winning when you buy a lottery ticket is really low. You have to be super lucky. So you need to orchestrate your luck. You need to go out there into the real world and do everything you can in your power to maximize the probability that you will be successful. Now, most, um, most really great entrepreneurs, the ones who are very successful, they are what I call opportunists. Like, Look at Elon Musk, for example. Did he come up with the idea for Tesla? No. Well, he was just an early investor. He saw the potential, he saw what other people were working on and then he stepped in and became CEO. And because he's so talented, he could take it to the next level. But he didn't come up with that idea. Did Steve Jobs come up with the idea uh, for the PC? No, he didn't. Did he come up with the idea for the user interface for the Macintosh, which was revolutionary? No, Xerox PARC did that. But Mm -hmm. he saw these opportunities, was able to take them to the next level. So it's more about, um, there's a lot of things going on in the world you need to go out there first of all and start to explore, start to experience things. If you wanna start a company, don't sit there just thinking about it. Don't sit in front of your co- computer, just thinking about it. That won't get you where you need to be. I actually tell entrepreneurs, don't try to think of any ideas at the beginning. Think of an area that you're really interested in that really uh, gets you going, it's, you, get, you know f- fuels your passion. Like you want to learn more about this. Then go into the real world and start talking to people, people who are in this space. So let's say, you say, one of your ideas is, you know, the way the fishing industry is run, it's really horrible. Like a lot of fish are wasted. You know, they drop these huge lines into the ocean and they have this bycatch that they waste. You know, all these fish are killed unnecessarily. There's a lot of pollution out there. How can we make the fishing industry better? You don't have to have the idea out of the gate on how to do this. You just have to go out there and not go out there alone by yourself go out there with other people. So the first thing I tell entrepreneurs is throw out your uh, thinking about an idea, pick a direction and then find other people with complementary skills to what you have that you can go on this journey with. So is, are there other people who have knowledge about maybe building new fishing lines, people who are working with new materials, people who uh, understand distribution in, in the fishing industry? Can you pull these people into your orbit and together, go out to try to find a solution to what you know is a big problem.
1: Mm. Brilliant, brilliant approach. What, what are some thoughts on, you know, for a lot of us, it can be hard meeting those people, connecting with those people. Any thoughts on how I might go about doing that? One of the biggest hurdles early entrepreneurs have
0: is connecting with the right people. Like, right. honestly, because I see solo entrepreneurs all the time. We call oh. them in Silicon Valley, solopreneurs. Mm-hmm. And And the tragedy is that solopreneurs individually can be extremely smart. They can be extremely capable, but they, more often than not, they fail. They fail to execute because they're trying to do everything themselves. They're spreading themselves too thin. Nobody can have expertise in anywhere. You know, you look at these figureheads and they seem like they're so amazing, like Elon Musk, but literally he's just like this a networking idea machine, he's getting everybody else to actually do the work. <laughs> like it, it's the people under him are doing the work. So, but he's taking the credit. But as a, an entrepreneur, what your job is, is it, it isn't to invent everything. Like your job uh, being an entrepreneur, being an innovator, isn't about spending years and years in a lab. It's about going out into the real world, pulling in all the resources you need in the right way and focusing them on solving a problem. So I tell entrepreneurs who face this challenge, honestly, if you're going to, like, as an investor, I invest in a lot of startups. So I I always, I don't look at the entrepreneur's individual skill in, in terms of like their scientific skill or their you know, whatever skill they may have. I look at their ability in the real world to extract resources, bring them in and put them to use. Mm -hmm. If I see that, like they're pulling in amazing people, they're pulling in amazing advisors, they're getting the press to respond. They're literally the type of person who can do this. Those type of people almost always wind up successful in the end. So your challenge, If you're an entrepreneur out there and you wanna know how to get started, refine the skill of getting people on board from the very beginning. And how can you find them? They're there. Like if if you take the example of the fishing industry, if you wanna know about the fishing industry but you're from the outside and a lot of the best innovators come from the outside because they don't have all these roadblocks, Mm then. Go to fishing conventions, mm-hmm. like get on a fishing boat, go out there and talk to the captain and spend two weeks out there on the boat, f- figuring out all the problems they're having, what it's really like, but with a fresh perspective. Go uh, network in like, you know, how are fish uh, manuf- uh, process, like are they canned? How are they shipped out to supermarkets fresh? How does all this work? You need to be out there in the real world and then you will naturally. Just start meeting people. You will meet too many people and your goal will really be to select the
1: right ones to be on your team and to advise you and help you move forward. Yeah, that makes sense. And that's been my experience as well. You have to immerse yourself in it. And then going back to the points you were just making, it seems to me like in your observation with successful entrepreneurs, it's those leadership qualities, that, that charisma, that ability to sell under others on this idea and have them join you That's as critical as anything to a successful startup. I always look when I'm investing in startups
0: and when I'm mentoring them, real leaders, like it's all, if the CEO's job is essentially to to lead the path, to have a vision and to to pull in resources, and then it's everybody else's job to actually do the work, (laughs) to do the hard work. Mm. Great CEOs really, uh, they, they, know how to get other people working at their best. And, this is, and if this isn't a skill you have, you either need to develop it or you need to look at taking another role. Like maybe you shouldn't be the CEO. Right. Maybe you should find somebody with these skills, join them as an early co-founder and you will probably have much more success if you aren't going to be able to, ex- if you aren't going to, be able to acquire these skills than doing it yourself. Yeah. Now, the good thing is, I don't believe entrepreneurs are born. I believe entrepreneurs are made. Now, some people at a very early age make themselves, like they're consuming lots of stuff, they're organizing their friends, they're always getting stuff done, they're taking on projects. Those people are natural entrepreneurs. But even if you're not naturally have those skills, you can acquire them. You, you can actually go out and train yourself. You just need to recognize where your weaknesses are and what you need to focus on.
1: Do you think uh, on that point though, are there any traits... That we have to be born with to to been develop what we're missing, or do you believe that anybody can become an entrepreneur? I think it's a mixture. It's it's not binary. It's not like
0: you know you're either born an entrepreneur or you're not. However, um, there are uh, I want to say it's really in in between. It's a gray area. So put it this way: you have a dream of being an MBA star, but you're you're born. Uh, you're, you're born, you you know, you're born and your maximum height is four foot six. That's what you grow into, right? You're four foot six. Honestly, the chance of you being an MBA star is almost zero. Like it's never entirely zero, but it's almost zero. Uh, So you probably shouldn't pursue that career path. So you actually have to look at what your genes give you. Like if you can't tolerate any stress, if you uh, really uh, can't relate to people and communicate, you know, the chance of you being a successful entrepreneur is almost zero. Really? Maybe you should go be a scientist or a librarian or something else, but t- don't be an entrepreneur. However, most people aren't really at that. You know, they're not born seven feet tall and they're not born four feet, six inches. You know, they, they, with the genes that make them that tall, most people are somewhere in the middle. And that means that you can take that person and they can become better. Now we'll, if you're born with all the right genetics to be an entrepreneur, you're going to have a big leg up. But if you don't apply yourself, you'll still never be a great entrepreneur. Right. So the skills I see um, in great entrepreneurs are this. Number one, an openness of mind. If you're going to start something and do something that nobody else has done and really make a big change in the world, you need to be, you need to be open to new ideas. You need to embrace new ideas. You need to always be curious and absorbing things. How can you make yourself better at that? Constantly feed your mind, like feed, re, always reading new books, listen to new podcasts, like absorb information from sources that other people in your industry aren't. This can make you so much more creative. It can give you those ideas, those, the raw material that you can actually start to put together and see connections. Number two, you need to have high risk tolerance. You need to be able to control your stress, your anxiety, Entrepreneurs tend to be overly optimistic by nature, genetically. So uh, if you are really negative, it's going to really impede your progress as an entrepreneur. You really need to find a way to have a positive mindset and and allow yourself to uh, go into places, onto journeys where you don't know the ending, where you really don't know what's going to happen. And then number three, you need to stick with it. You need to be the type of person who, when you're knocked down flat on your back, you get up again. Like you don't give up. Because if you're going to give up, you're going to get knocked down, not once, not twice, like hundreds of times. And, and if you aren't the type to be resilient and get up again, and just push forward, it's going to be really tough. So those are the three core traits.
1: Yeah, brilliant. Thank you for sharing that. That's, uh, that's so spot on with my experience as well. So thank you for sharing that with us. Let me ask you this: Since you know you, you're doing this all over the world now, the the, the incubator and, and accelerator programs, have you observed any differences, any any perspectives that are different, you know, whether good or bad, compared to how we go about business in the U.S.? So entrepreneurs all over the world are very very different.
0: Uh, the beautiful thing about the U.S. is that we have people from all over the world. Like literally, we have people from every part of the globe. What? made Silicon Valley so successful is not that people born in the Silicon Valley region were smarter than everybody else, but that it became a hub and it started to attract people from all over the world with different perspectives right. and different ways of doing stuff. And they were put in a very small space geographically, and they intermingle daily, like at, at, on the job, when you went out, when, you know, your friends, you're getting all these different perspectives, which really opened people's minds and challenged them. And that's what made Silicon Valley take off And a lot of other regions in the US are now booming, Austin, Texas, you know, Seattle region, New York, you know, on and on and on. There are startup hubs all over the US because we have these essential ingredients. Now, what I notice though, is that people in different countries approach entrepreneurship very differently. And I'm going to generalize now. And so don't, uh, please excuse, when you generalize, often you stereotype, but at the same time, there's some truth in this. in Asia, people tend to be much more. They have a different approach. So it's, it's society. It isn't as individualistic as society. So when people join together, they tend much. They tend to follow leaders. They have a more hierarchical structure, making their type of entrepreneurship very different. What they're very good at in Asia is also in general. Not, it doesn't apply to every individual, but uh, Asian cultures tend to value hard work. Like you work really hard. Like Korea, I think is ranked as the number one hardest working country in the world, followed closely by China and Japan. Like they work incredibly long hours. They really uh, put in the dues. In America, a lot of people don't work as hard. (laughs) And you know, hard work matters. So hard work pays off, but it's not just hard work. There are other factors involved. In Asia, um, one of the success things is that when people join an organization Uh, It's much more homogenous societies and they tend to uh, be very cohesive and they tend to work together really well. In America, we're much more individualistic. We wanna do our own thing. We're always, and there's pluses and minuses. So um, the thing about uh, in Asian cultures, they tend not to have as many different ideas. They tend to avoid conflict. They they tend, this tends to limit some of their innovation that they can do. In America, in our cultures, we have all these people, they're all pushing, they're all being very vocal, speaking out. You know, not, they, they will t- tell you to your face when you don't agree. Mm-hmm. So that makes a much more dynamic workplace. It also can slow things down. So in Asia, when everybody's moving as in unison, like it's a group culture, and right. they're all moving together, they can be extremely efficient. America might be less efficient. But out of that inefficiency, you get a lot more uh, people with different, I- new ideas are surfaced, which leads to much more innovation. So you get a higher ranking on innovation in kind of Western cultures, but a higher ranking on execution on Eastern cultures. Again, I'm generalizing. They're very different, kind, uh, you know, the, 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 uh, Asia is a very big place, but that tends to be the general rules. I travel around a lot, I've seen it. And in Europe, Um, people are very creative, but they're risk averse, like, Mm, like the cultures, it's changing now. There's a lot more venture capital flowing in, a lot more entrepreneurialism, but traditionally Europe has been much more rich, risk averse than America. You know, Americans by nature, you know, people came here as immigrants, that's taking a huge risk. We're a culture that embraces risk, which is really good for us. Like this is why America rose to become the, you know, the world's superpower. But now we're being challenged by uh, you know, other cultures because they're playing on their strengths. And so we're seeing this dynamic play out globally.
1: Yeah, That's brilliant. Thanks for sharing those insights. Very, very insightful. And I think it I'd really had never stopped to think about one of the reasons why areas like Silicon Valley's have had success is because you get all that mix of different cultures and backgrounds and thought processes. And when you mix that together, that's when you really get some brilliant stuff, don't you? This is why I tell entrepreneurs, when
0: you're starting a company, yeah, don't look for people just like you. Get no. people with other points of view, other perspectives. You're you're gonna, it's gonna supercharge you in ways that you can't even predict. Yeah,
1: and that's one of the things you're facilitating. So as we start to to wrap it up, I, I want to get more about what you're doing with Founders Space, but that's what a good in, in incubator and accelerator facilitates as well, right? great
0: incubators are just about that. It's like bringing in a lot of different people, a lot of different ideas, um, and actually putting those people in an environment where they get exposed to and challenged on their ideas. So a lot of what we do when we bring in an entrepreneur is we don't have expect them to have completely figured it out. We know every entrepreneur that's joining an incubator or accelerator has big challenges ahead. What we try to do is question them. The the most important thing we can do is not what we tell them, but the questions we ask them. Like, have you considered this? Is this really the direction the market is going? Is that really what your customers want? I know you think it's what they want, but I want to hear it from them, what they want. We are continually going deep into their business, analyzing it, and and, and pulling out things that they might be ignoring. intentionally or unintentionally, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs, they don't want to deal with a lot of stuff. They want to believe it's true. So we are challenging those beliefs for them. And then we are sitting down with them and actually plotting a path forward to actually figure it out.
1: So how do I get considered to be part of Founderspace? Super simple. If you
0: want to uh, join Founderspace, just go to founderspace.com and literally online, we have an application that you can fill out. Now, I have to say, it's very competitive. We only ex- accept a small percentage of the people applying. And that's simply because we have limited resources. We can only work with so many companies every year.
1: Yeah, wonderful. All right, we've been talking about, we've just scratched the surface. I mean, the book is really, it covers a broad range of topics, but we've been talking about Surviving a Startup with Steve Hoffman. Uh, So that's a book that I definitely recommend. Is there another book that comes to mind uh, either on a related topic, Steve, that you would recommend? So I think everybody out there should read the book Never
0: Split the Difference by Chris Voss. And he was in the FBI and he took his experience negotiating for, for basically freeing hostages, for bank robberies, for all these different things, how the negotiating tactics of the FBI would apply when you are negotiating a deal doing a startup.
1: So I would, I haven't read the book. It's been recommended before, but I would take away from it that it means that I, that I negotiate for win lose. What am I missing?
0: That one of his tactics is that you can get it all like you can get a, you can get much more than you think you should. When you negotiate, most people cut themselves short. So I like that book, I, I literally, this is me. So I read a new book every week because, I, and I think every entrepreneur should do this. Like you should, because you, you when you read a book, you're getting somebody out there, an expert, their best ideas from their entire life, right, is being put into this book in a very structured format. You can't get that anywhere else. So I say you should listen to the best podcasts out there, like this one, and then you should read a book a week. And if you're not a good reader like me, get an audio book. Like you can can do it on audio. I'm dyslexic, so I like Mm. listen at 2.5 speed to podcasts as well as books, and I just consume an enormous amount of information. And that's what makes me smart. I'm continually educating myself.
1: Yeah. Inspiring. You know, the point you make about the author is it's further leveraged because the author has gotten taken data points from who knows how many countless other people and resources and experiences and uh, and boiling it down to that that material that then you're consuming. So it's so leveraged as far as a learning tool. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You the whole point is to accelerate uh, your uh, acquisition of knowledge, like, because people aren't born smart, we're all born with brains, but the brains that like, we don't know anything when we're babies. It, you look at these brilliant people out there. It's not just they're brilliant. They have taught themselves to be yeah. brilliant. They, they have worked like crazy on it. And, and every entrepreneur out there can do the same. You can make yourself much better. Can you be an Einstein? Could you be an Elon Musk? I don't know, but you can definitely be better than you
1: are. Agreed. All right, Steve, what's one thing you want to stick away from this conversation we've had about surviving a startup? So if you want to
0: survive your startup, the one thing I tell you is just, first of all, go into it with the right attitude that you are are up for the challenge and then take on the challenge of educating yourself continually educating yourself and surrounding yourself by amazing people. The more amazing people you surround yourself with, the higher your chance of success.
1: And where would you like us to go again online to learn more? If you want to reach me
0: or find out about my books or watch my videos or podcasts or anything else, it's super simple. Just go to foundersspace.com. I'm also available on all the social networks, you know, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, you name it founder space.
1: Steve, this has been an inspirational uh, uh, conversation. These are are the reasons that I do podcasting as I get to have these kind of conversations that leave me more energized than when I started. So thank you so much for taking the time and for sharing today. Thank you for having me. This is Henry Lopez. And thanks for joining me on this episode of The Howa Business. My guest today again was Steve Hoffman. We release new episodes every Monday morning. And you can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or at our website, thehowofbusiness.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information about our coaching programs, online courses, show notes pages, links,
0: and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.